Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Seven words that'll scare any politician. Roy Green is holding on line one. The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network continues. Bjorn Lomborg was named by Time magazine as one of the world's 100 most influential persons. He's the director of the Copenhagen Consensus Center, the think tank, and he's the author of best-selling books on climate like Cool It. Bjorn Lomborg supports the human-induced global climate change position, but challenges the UN Climate Initiative as a massive expenditure with very little return. Dr. Lomborg also challenges inefficient carbon taxation, and wrote a piece for the Globe and Mail titled, A Tighter Aid Budget Means Canada Must Do More With Less in Haiti. Uh, I want to read you a little something. I'm going to talk to Bjorn Lomborg in about a minute. I just want to read from something he wrote in June of this year, which was also contributed to the Globe and Mail. And I'm reading in part from a piece called A Path Toward path forward after the Paris Climate Agreement. Now that President Donald Trump has officially pulled out of the United States, or pulled the United States from the accord, it is time to declare the entire Kyoto-Paris approach to be global warming dead and buried. Instead of scrapping over the treaty's corpse, this is an opportunity to try a new, better, and more efficient approach to solving global warming. Right now, the chances of anything so constructive seem slim. Rhetoric is overheated to the point of absurdity. Environmental campaigners condemn Mr. Trump for dooming the entire planet to a fiery Armageddon, yet claim rashly that the treaty could survive without the United States. It will not, and it should not. The hyperbole and outrage can't hide the truth, even with the United States included. The treaty was not going to make much difference to global warming. Its grand rhetoric was never matched by the actual carbon-cutting promise within its pages. A lot was made of the treaty's fanciful pledge to keep global temperatures rises as low as 1.5 Celsius, but that would have been impossible in all realistic scenarios other than a devastating global recession. Dr. Bjorn Lomborg joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Dr. Lomborg, always good to speak with you, and the politicians know this as well as you do, don't they? They pretty much do. I think a lot of them understand that this is much more about signal virtue, uh, virtue signaling, sorry, that this is basically about just saying, oh, I want to help save the world. We're going to do some things. We're going to make some promises. They will have significant costs, you know, one to two percent 
perhaps of GDP. Sure, they won't make any real difference to, to climate, but they certainly will make us feel better, and they might also make the voters more likely to vote for me. Now, you say that it's time with the United States not in the Paris Accord, not a, not a signatory. And Mr. Trump occasionally seems to be vacillating as to whether he might, or but I, I just don't see it happening. But you're saying that it, it's time now to dispense with the entire road trip from Kyoto to Paris and start something brand new. How, what, might, what might that look like? Well, Roy, first of all, I think we need to understand how incredibly hard the current promises are. So just to give you a sense, you, you mentioned you know, the, the, the Paris Agreement is, is suggesting that we should try to aim to cut uh, temperatures to only 1.5 degrees centigrade uh, and, and not go above that. Uh, if you look at the science, and this is not me saying this, these are all, you know, this, both the UN Climate Panel, but even the most, you know, sort of radical climate environmentalists, they tell us that basically means that we would have to stop any emissions in less than four years. In January 1st, 2021, we would have to stop all fossil fuel use. And, 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 you know, that's just not going to happen. And you know, get a sense of how outrageous this is. You know, that would have to, you know, stop any kind of heating. It would mean we'd have to stop making uh, the fertilizer that actually feeds about half the world's population, uh, cement that basically uh, creates the foundation for, for our welfare, and so on. It's just absolutely impossible. So we got to get realistic and say these promises are nothing but feel-good claims. And if you look at the Paris Agreement, the Paris Agreement by itself, if everyone did everything they promised, including uh, you know, Trump actually delivering on all Obama's promises, even then, by 2030, we would have cut 1% of what is needed to be cut this century to get to two degrees. So basically, it, even at its best, it delivers virtually nothing. And yet the cost is phenomenal. It's one to two trillion dollars a year. So we got to be realistic and say, look, the current approach is not working. It hasn't been working for the last couple of decades. It's time to look for a smarter, cheaper and more effective policy. When you talk about the last couple of decades, it's true, isn't it, over 20 years, that a lot of money has been thrown at the uh, climate argument uh, and uh, the Kyoto Trail, as it were, but very little has been accomplished. Absolutely. And, of course, that goes to show that when politicians have to choose between actually making sure there's enough power for their constituents and their uh, voters to keep warm and to be productive and keep the economy going, and on the other side trying to cut carbon emissions for their pledges in, in Kyoto and Paris and elsewhere— it will always be the economy that wins out. Mm -hmm. And that's why we have to realize the only way we can fix global warming is if we dramatically innovate the price of green energy down. That's essentially what the U.S. sort of inadvertently did with the, the shale, the fracking uh, adventure uh, that basically made gas so much cheaper that they have switched a large percentage, so about 12 or 13% of their uh, electricity production from coal to gas. 
Now, this matters because gas emits about half as much CO2 as coal per energy unit. So that's why the U.S. has been by far the biggest, uh, has seen the biggest absolute reduction this century in, uh, in carbon emissions. Not Germany and all the other countries that are very, very green. It is the U.S. simply because of technology. And if we could replicate that elsewhere, that is get China go fracking and in the long run get other technologies that would make green energy so cheap that everyone would want to switch. Everyone would switch, not because of a Paris uh, promise or anything, but simply because economics and innovation had made it cheaper. Do you get tired of uh, ex- explaining things in a common sense way? <laughs> uh, well, it's so important. And look, well, it is. we're talking about spending a trillion dollars. Imagine what we could do if we actually spent just a fraction of that on fixing climate. And then all the other things, all the other ills that are also affecting this planet, how much good we could do. So, no, if, if it takes a little more of my breath to make us spend money slightly better, uh, that would be amazing. Now, we're going to take a break uh, in just a moment. But one of the things that I wanted to mention is when I hear politicians, particularly as we close in on elections, talk about global warming and all of their initiatives like carbon taxation or cap-and-trade, First of all, I get the sense they don't really know what they're talking about. And then secondly, they're not really interested in what they're talking about. They're only interested in trolling for votes. It's like they're throwing these these long lines into the ocean, and they're hoping that something very big is going to land at the other end, and they'll be able to tug it on board. I'm just not, I'm not convinced that they know what they're talking about, and I'm not convinced that they care. And that's just my editorial view. Well, my, 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 my sense of politicians are a lot of politicians actually do want to do good. But yes, they also want to be able to say, I've done this and I've done that and I've done the other. And really, it's about making sure that they understand many of the policies that they do, for instance, cap and trade and carbon, carbon taxes, often are not delivering what they think. They are much more expensive and they're actually helping a well, lot let, less. Let me ask and you about that. that. Would be helpful. Let me ask you about that when we come back, because in Canada, Mr. Trudeau wants a, wants a pan-Canadian carbon tax. The province of Saskatchewan is prepared to take Mr. Trudeau to court. The province of Manitoba has initiated, started its own uh, um, effort and says it's going to be better than what Mr. Trudeau could put in place. He's not going to like that. So, And Quebec and Ontario have joined uh, the state of California in a, in a threesome on cap and trade. And, uh, and you're right. I'm just going to take one line from, from a column that you wrote, how to avoid the political pitfall of carbon taxes. Something else that uh, was in the Globe and Mail. You write, um, first, a carbon tax has to be uniform across the entire economy. And then the start of the next paragraph, Germany alone has at least 30 effective COT taxes, CO2 taxes. We'll come back with Dr. Bjorn Lomborg on The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Taking on the Titans, standing up for the little guy. It's the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. One of the comments that I'm seeing over and over again about Remembrance Day is about Omar Cotter, and it goes something like this. And uh, Major Mark Campbell, who we spoke to earlier, former PPCLI major who lost both legs in Afghanistan, and it goes something like this. You fight against Canada, you get a check for $10.5 million. You fight for Canada, 
and the government spends taxpayer money to take you to court to try to disprove that it has any responsibility for you. Well, there's truth in that. Dr. Bjorn Lomborg is my guest on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. He's the author of The Skeptical Environmentalist and Cool It and other books that have to do with climate. He is uh, one of the world's most 100 most influential people. And um, he joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Time magazine said that. I put you right at the top of the list because this is such a hugely important issue, this climate issue. And you're the only person, Dr. Lomborg, and I'm not good at blowing smoke, you're the only person who I've heard speak sensibly and say, yeah, it's real, but the way you're approaching it is unreal. So if, if I can just, I'm always fighting the clock here, but if I can just go to something that you wrote uh, in the uh, column, How to Avoid the Political Pitfalls of Carbon Taxes, Germany alone has at least 30 effective CO2 taxes. And then you write, or earlier you wrote, first a carbon tax has to be uniform across the entire economy. And in Canada, we already have Saskatchewan, as I said, ready to take the federal government to court. Manitoba with its own plan. Quebec and Ontario joining California in some weird triumvirate for cap and trade. I, if you could see me now, I'm shaking my head. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And, and look, the reality is uh, uh, any economist would say, in principle, if you could do a first best policy, you should do a carbon tax that fit the damage. So uh, probably about a $10 Canadian uh, carbon tax per ton of CO2, and then do nothing more. But the problem is, of course, that's rarely what happens. Politicians want to do lots of different taxes, as you just mentioned, for, for Germany, uh, there's about 30 car different carbon taxes. And of course, that means it's hugely ineffective uh, for the OCD uh, uh, of a whole, uh, including Canada. There's about 1,400 different uh, carbon taxes, including a lot of zeros and a lot of really, really high ones. And then, of course, while politicians are saying we should have a carbon tax, they are also supporting, for instance, solar and wind and electric cars and all the other stuff. Look, if you want to do a carbon tax, that's great, but then you should not do anything else. You should stop all subsidies because then you've already built it into the system. And then you should also be realistic. Even if you get a good carbon tax across the entire world, not just in Canada, but across the entire world, what we'll be able to do is reduce temperatures by the end of the century from, say, 4.2 degrees to maybe 3.5 degrees. So, you know, it will be a little reduction, and that will overall actually be slightly more effective. But it will not be the solution of the savior, as many politicians like to point out. And that's, of course, if you get it right, which Europe certainly over and again have proven is very, very hard to do. Well, if you're, we're talking about subsidies, uh, there's already talk in this country about subsidies for electric vehicles and subsidies for this and subsidies for that. You write, in Norway, one study shows the subsidy for electric cars reaches $17,000 for each ton of CO2 emissions avoided. I can't do the math. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's just uh, outstandingly ineffective. You know, electric cars have become this incredibly symbol-laden uh, uh, idea where you say, God, I'm really, really green. But, of course, remember lots of... Uh, carbon, lots of CO2 emissions went into, for instance, making the battery. Most power across the world is definitely not clean. It's, uh, you know, it has lots of fossil fuels in, uh, put into it. And that means 
electric cars are a little cleaner, but not a lot cleaner. And so if you give a subsidy of a lot of money, and, and, and for instance, in Denmark and Norway and some of these other countries, it can run into you know, $20,000, $40,000 per car. subsidies and you, per car. And you just <laughs> cut a few tons of CO2. Remember, for the same amount of money, you could have cut about 1,500 times as many tons of CO2 elsewhere. So you could have done 15 times. 1,500 times as much good had you spent that money smartly in cutting carbon emissions. And this, of course, is really why you need to be very clear. You have one carbon tax. You have the right carbon tax, which the biggest meta study seems to indicate is around $10. And then you don't do any more. But this is what's so really, really hard for politicians to not start saying, oh, but I also want to subsidize this one thing that looks really, really green or really, really cute. Well, you've already done that with a carbon tax, then don't do anything else. And then also remember, this is not going to be the fix-all. It's going to be a fix little bit. Now, what do you make of Australia? They introduced a national uh, carbon tax. And then, I think less than two years later, the Australian government said, no, we're rescinding the carbon tax because it's harming our economy, it's harming small business, it's harming families. It's gone. Well, it, it shows how incredibly hard it is to make these arguments when you have when you ask real people who are often struggling to get by to actually pay even more for their uh, for for their energy, which is obviously incredibly important both for your economy but also just simply to stay alive. And and so this again shows what we talked about earlier that you have to stop believing that you can solve global warming by putting lots of taxes on people. They're going to rebel. They're going to say no to this. The answer has to be to make technology so cheap that you eventually have everyone wanting to have green solutions. That's what happened with the fracking. You know, if you make gas so cheap that it outcompetes coal, everyone will switch. Likewise, if we can innovate the price of green energy, and that would both be nuclear, it would also be uh, 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 wind and solar and many, many other things that we don't even know about yet. If we could make them so cheap and, of course, reliable that they would outcompete fossil fuels, people would just buy them instead. But we're not there yet. Right now, we're spending about $180 billion on subsidies for, for green energy every year. Uh, around the world. And of course, they contribute almost nothing to our energy supply. So what we're in reality doing is we're just spending lots of money and not achieving a lot. We could spend less money investing in research and development. And then in the long run, we would actually help solve global warming much smarter, much cheaper, and avoid the problem you just mentioned in, in Australia. Dr. Lomborg, thank you so much for the time. What we're doing, I guess you're from a Nordic climate or a northern climate, we're spinning our wheels, and it's something that we uh, we yeah. do, and, and we don't like doing, but we're doing it with the climate. Thank you. It's always great talking to you. Good to talk to you, Roy. All the best. Dr. Bjorn Lomborg on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. I like him. That makes sense. But getting politicians to switch horses in midstream on this whole issue. Well, when we come back, it's Beauties and the Beast with Catherine, Linda, Michelle, and me.